Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great to see all of you guys um, here. As you heard earlier, I uh, mentioned uh, Carson. I mentioned it uh, as we were beginning our service about the daddy-daughter dance uh, this weekend. Anybody come to that? A lot of dads. I heard a, just my whole Instagram feed was just all these dads and daughters, which is super awesome. And he also mentioned that next year he'll bring uh, his little girl, Lennon Parker, uh, which, in case you don't know, will be my granddaughter. Carson, you know that, right? So we're having a grandbaby. Carson and Maddie are, are uh, due in June. We're stoked about that. Uh, little Lennon Parker. I don't look old enough to be a granddad, right? So I know. Um, big weekend. I know we got Newburn, uh, Leland, a couple of local things uh, we want to celebrate. Um, I'm, I'm still a little uh, recovering from uh, the UNCW basketball game last night. They won last night, so go UNCW. I know we got some folks here uh, who play. It was also a big weekend. Uh, they opened their baseball season, had a couple of victories with that. It's a huge deal for our UNCW students, and the UNCW swim team won the conference championship, which is also a big deal. So we're excited. Yeah, I know we got a lot of students. We're excited to have uh, the campus here and to be a part, have so many of our students and athletes a part of, of our body. And we just want to um, let you guys know how much we appreciate what you do for our church. And we uh, count it a joy to be able to support you guys um, in, what you're, in what you're doing and what you represent, um, not only you know, as athletes and, and students, but really what you bring to that campus. And so thank you um, for that. We are um, in a series called Social. This is week three. And we're talking about needed skills for a new humanity. The idea that what we have been bought into is a new humanity. And it requires for us, and this is what you saw when you were kind of, we were, well, this is, it's a radical reorientation. The gospel requires a radical reorientation in the way in which you and I are to live. And so we've organized this, or I've organized this, uh, into uh, two uh, sort of topics or components. Uh, We talked about this last week. The first one is self-denial. And the self one, second one is self-control. <clears throat> we talked about these are sort of the topics, and there's a necessary skill in both of these. And so the necessary skill for this one we talked about last week um, is discernment. Is discernment. It's being able to sense and see and understand what is happening. And if, if I'm being really, just to be really frank, when people ask me, say, Mike, what's the, what's the single if I had to pick a single problem or a single challenge that the church and people who follow Jesus face, it is this. It is a fundamental lack of discernment. It's a lack of discernment of what we have been called to, of what the gospel is and what the gospel does, and our default is in a direction that isn't always Godward. It isn't, it's, it's, in fact, it's rarely that way. It's usually into something else. And this is why we, we, we cannot underestimate the radical reorientation that all of us need in order to actually live the way we've been created and called to live. And the skill that is needed for self-control, I'm going to go ahead and put this up there, is dependence. And we talked about this last week. Dependence. It's, it's the, the skill of learning how to trust, how to depend. And what most of us sort of end up believing, if you grew up in the church, You need Jesus for a few things, and that dependence is temporary. And dependence only serves, the the capacity to be dependent on someone else only serves you until you can do it yourself. 
And so you sort of take matters in your own hands and take care of it on your own terms and in your own strength. And we don't ever really learn that dependence is something that we continually need um, all the way through our lives. And so I want to address this because here's, what, here's my story, right? I thought I knew how to ride a bike. I grew up riding bikes. I grew up riding, I used to ride uh, trick bikes, BMX, uh, quarter pipes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I loved it growing up. So I've, I've grown up on bikes. I have good balance, road bikes. And I thought I knew how to ride a bike until I went to ride bikes with Richie Marshall. Richie Marshall is our executive pastor. Here's a picture of us. He's an executive pastor here. He's one of my dear friends. Uh, this is us. We are going, right. it looks like we're really happy there, right? Uh, this was very temporary um, because we were riding bikes. Uh, I went mountain biking. He said, Mike, let's go mountain biking. They've asked me for years to go mountain biking. I'm like, no, I don't want to go mountain biking. And he said, let's go. We were on a retreat or uh, at a, a conference up in Utah, the two of us there with one of our partners uh, in Utah. And so he says, well, one of our uh, times we had a break, uh, there was a recreation time. He said, let's go mountain biking. And so I said, okay. So we go, and this is, uh, I'll just give you, a, this is what it looks like. Um, this is a different, this is 9,500 9, feet in elevation. This is my first mountain biking experience. So I'm thinking, how hard can this be? I've rode trails, right? I've been, I've been, mount, I've been biking before. I've ridden quarter pipes. How hard can this be? So we're getting out there. <clears throat> Richie's kind of introducing me to the bike because these bikes are high tech. They're like twice as much as my car costs. So we rent these bikes. We get all of our equipment on. We go out there. And I don't know if you've ever mountain biked before, but they, they have shocks which are super cool because you can bunny hop them and that's a lot of fun. But there's also all kinds of other contraptions on these high-tech bikes. The gears are electric. They're, they're, so like, it's like click, 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 and it's like it's instant and they shift gears. And if you haven't ridden a bike in a long time, when you shift to the lower gears, like one and two, the pedal spin really fast, so you can go up hills really steep. And when you get higher gears, you know, I think it was 17 or 21, I don't remember how they were, 21 gears. When you get all up there, it's like barely pedals because it's when you get on hills, you can go really fast. So that's how it works. There's also other contraptions on this bike. So you have brakes, brakes, you have the gears, and then you have this other button. And what this button does is this makes your seat move. Now, have you ever seen, I didn't know this hat, this was a thing. But when you're riding on flat land or downhill, you want your seat, uh, when you're riding on flat land or uphill, you want your seat kind of, so your, so your legs are, so you want your seat up high. So you're riding, and there's a button you push when you go down the hill, and your seat goes, shoom, and it just drops to the ground. So I, this is kind of cool. Shoom, shoom. That's what I'm doing. Like, shoom. This is fun. Shoom. So we're out there, and Richie's kind of giving us. So we're out there riding around, and Richie's going, um, all right, you need to know all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've ridden a bike before. And then this is what he says. He says, my, my hand grip's a little loose. I need to go back to the bike shop and have it fixed. I'm like, your hand grip's loose. You're going to go back to the bike shop for your hand grip? Like, I'm like, is that really important? I was like, all right, whatever, kind of wimp. And so he goes back, and so I'm out there messing around, shoom, shoom, you know, up and down, shoom, clicking the gears. And so we go, we start riding. And we get out there, and we start riding, and we are literally going straight up these hills. And we get up, and, and this is, mountain biking is not what they should call this. This is something else. I'm not joking. We are on these trails. They're this wide. And there's a briar patch to my left and a 50-foot cliff to my right. And he's like, just don't look to the side. I'm like, dude. And so we're, we're just riding. I'm just like praying, God, please don't let me die out here. And we're bouncing. And, and this is what happened. We get going up a hill. And I'd forget which finger to use. And all of a sudden, I'm like riding up a hill. And I'm sitting, I'm like, zoom, and I'm sitting there like this. And so I'm trying to like pedal. I click the gears in the wrong direction. So now it's really hard to pedal. I'm going up a hill. And I'm trying not to fall over this cliff. And I'm just, you know. And then we, what they gave us to have in our backpacks, because we're at 9,500 feet, they gave us these oxygen containers. So I had to pull over and go, <sighs> 
I'm just like sucking in because I'm like the whole time, I'm just like on the verge of a panic attack the entire time. And so what Richie kept saying is just follow me, just follow me, just follow me, just follow me. And, and the whole time I'm having to learn how to use the gears and I had to, you know, and here's, here's, here's the, the, the point, right? That I thought I knew how to ride a bike until I actually started to ride the bike. Until I actually started to, to participate in this. In this thing that we were going to participate in. A lot of us, we think we know what it means to walk with Jesus. Or we know, oh yeah, there's gears and there's this little button that does this and it's all kind of fun. But until we've never, until we start to actually do it. We actually start to participate, and you realize that those skills that you need, those things that you just sort of think, I mean, I realize why Richie got his hand grip fit, uh, fixed, because if your hand grip slips, you're going to die. That's, that's the reality. And so there, there, a lot of these things matter immensely in how we execute these, because there's something at stake. And a lot of us, we've got this sort of idea of what it means to walk with Jesus. You come to church, you get a nugget, helps you do better in your life, and we've never really learned how to trust and depend what is, what is really required of us, what is really asking of us, what we are really made for. And so what I want us to do uh, in, this, in this time, I want to back way up, and I want for us to read a big old chunk of this letter that we've been looking at. It's Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We're going to read almost the whole section that I've been using. So, and I want to do this because what I do, and you all know this if you've been around for a long time, is I print the Bible off on cardstock because I can use Sharpie markers and it doesn't bleed through. And I do this not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. I do this in order to learn. I do this in order to seek. And I do this in order to ask and to knock, not so I can prepare messages. I print them off and I read and I say, Lord, can you help me? Can you show me? Can you guide me? Holy Spirit, can you, can you open my eyes to see things? I write things down and I talk about them with the people that are around me, my close friends. And we talk about these things. So we can say, Lord, what are you doing here? What are we, what are we seeing? What are you saying to us? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to respond? And so this is one of those letters where Paul is just writing to some of those folks who are trying to do this. He's like, here's what I want you to know. And he talks about this, that there was a way of life in which we were formerly subjected to and a culture that we live in that has all sorts of um, obstacles to us becoming formed and to experience the life that we've been intended for. And then he picks up and he says this, and um, before I, I jump into that, I just want to remind you that, or, or to say to you that part of what we're doing, so if, if I were to continue to ride mountain bikes, the gears and the stuff would become more normal, right? The more you do it, the more, like Richie shifts gears and moves his seat without thinking about it, because it was more normal. For me, it was completely foreign. And part of what we are doing as a church, what we want to understand is we have been born again into a new humanity, born into something brand new that requires a radical reorientation. And our goal in this is that the kingdom of God, the way in which we've been created, recreated to live, becomes more normal and less foreign. And the reality is, much of what this new way is remains foreign to us. So we have to learn some things, some skills, that will become second nature in order for us to participate in the life that God has for us, that Jesus has made a way for us to experience. So here is Ephesians, starting in verse 20. <clears throat> he says, you did not learn about Christ like this, in this sense of you can do whatever you want. There was something different. He says, if indeed you heard about him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. The truth resides, the reality of our existence resides in Jesus. And he's talking about this. 
Verse 22, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man, to lay aside our old humanity, our old identity, which is being corrupted in accordance with what? Deceitful desires. What this means is that all of us have desires that will deceive us, that will move us away from who we are called to be. All of us have this propensity to do this. It's being corrupted in accordance with our, so that's what's being put aside. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man who has been created in God's image. And this goes all the way back to the garden. He's going back, he's returning us to the way in which we've been intended and created to live in righteousness and in holiness that comes from the reality in which we were created, the truth. Therefore, we talked about this last week. If you um, were not here, you might want to go catch back up with that. Verse 25, therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you should speak truth with his neighbor. Why? It's because we belong to each other. We are members of one another. Interestingly enough, that verse or the passage, the, the, the idea of speaking truth with his neighbor is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And it's, it's the condition or the way of life in a restored people. When Zechariah was prophesying, he said, when, when you are restored in return, you will speak truth with one another. So Paul is grabbing this and saying there's an image of us in a new humanity that there's a freedom that we have with one another. And a lot of us have heard this, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Some of you, this is your mantra in marriage. That's why you don't get any sleep. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give him a foothold, some of your translations say. This is not sort of thrown in for good measure. This is a reality. That there are things, there, there's a force in this world that is continually seeking to exploit the worst parts of you. I hope you realize that. This isn't like, a dude with a pitchfork and two horns. This is a, a force, an evil that is seeking to undermine everything that you want for yourself and that God wants for you. This is why when you sit there and you've ever done something that you know you shouldn't do or you've promised yourself a thousand times you wouldn't do again and you do it anyway and you can't for the life of you figure out why you did it because there's something underneath that eroding. And he says, don't give this a foothold. Don't let it in your mind. Don't let it into your sight. Don't give the, the devil a foothold. Don't give the enemy a foothold. And we could go in, I mean, like literally weeks in just these passages. I want to give us a big picture of this. The one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. And we're reading that like, is there people like going to Scotchman and ripping off candy bars? Like what's going on here? There's something that we're going we're to look at this. I want you to just get this picture in your head. So he's got, you know, be angry and don't sin. Don't give the devil opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, work and contribute and offer. And works, so you'll have something to offer. And then the part we like, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of, of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away every kind of bitterness and anger and wrath and quarreling and evil and slanderous talk. And instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. That would look really nice on a mug, wouldn't it? It's a letter. And he's telling us that there's something at stake. 
when you're reading this, he's writing this not to post on Instagram or to put on a coffee mug or cross-stitch on your bathroom wall. He's saying there's some really important things. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're contributing. There's all sorts of, it's just packed with stuff. And he goes on, he continues, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We're going to talk about that next week. And here's where it gets good. You ready? But among you, are you ready? There must, in some versions say, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these are not fitting for the saints. And now we got our list, don't we? This is where we start going, okay, so let's just make our list. Among people who walk with Jesus, there should not be a hint of what? What's the first thing on there? You can say it out loud. I know it's church. Sexual immorality. What's next? You can keep it up there so we can read it. There you go. Impurity of any kind. It's like, and what's the last one? Greed. Anybody know anybody like that? So like, I know as soon as you put this list up here, all of us, our, our minds start going. Where's Mike going with this? I recognize that some of these are more loaded than others. Like sexual morality is loaded. I get that. I know it's complex and it's complicated. And there are people here who have real struggles and real deep struggles regarding this. Whether it's some sexual orientation struggle or it's have you been the victim of abuse. Or, and there's all sorts of, it's loaded. It's loaded. And what Paul is saying, so, so what we tend to do is, go, oh, here's the list. And we need self-control to stop doing this list. And that's how most of us have approached our walk. And you've never learned how to use those gears and levers and all the things that are there to help you possess your vehicle in a way that allows you to experience what you've been intended to experience. It allows you to live the life that you've been intended to live, the one that God has actually promised and made a way for you to live, to be free from these types of tendencies. We keep going. Neither should there be vulgar speech or foolish talking or coarse jesting, all of which are out of character, but rather there should be Eucharist, uh, Eucharisteo. There should be thanksgiving. There should be grace, gratitude. That's the word there. And then here we go. For you can be confident of this one thing, that the person who is immoral, uh, we'll pick, I'll keep going, let's see if we can find the verse. Number five, verse five. The person who is immoral, impure, or greedy, which is idolatry, what's gonna happen to them? They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And some of you are like, boom, been waiting on him to say that the whole time. If that's what you think, you need a radical reorientation. Because what most of us end up thinking, test yourself. When it says that these people don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, what do you think? People who do this don't get to do what? 
go to heaven when they die. That's, that's almost instinctively what we think. And so what do we do? We try to go, I'm not going to do these things. And then when we do them, we create loopholes that say, well, they're really not that because of this. And we try to justify them so that we can say that we haven't done any of these, so that we can inherit the kingdom of God and Christ, kingdom of Christ and God. So here, here's, this is, this is why learning about Jesus and his kingdom and what, the way Jesus talks about the gospel has changed my life. Because I used to try not to do these things so that I wouldn't like have, there was a picture in my head that when I got to heaven, that God was going to play a videotape in front of everybody of everything I've ever thought. You ever had that nightmare before? That is not heaven. I'm like, I don't want to go. Like, I don't want people to read my journals, let alone know everything that I've ever thought. But we have this picture. Like, so we're going, cause this is why, because if these, these are all going to be on the videotape when you get there. That's baloney. That, 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 is, that is not anywhere in the way we receive or read or trust or learn the gospel. The way you've learned Jesus, you've not learned Jesus in that way. Perhaps you have, and you need to reorient to a new way of understanding what Jesus is and, or who he is and what he has done. And so when you think about the kingdom, the kingdom, what Jesus said is, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near, it is here, it is now, and it is available. And when you begin to understand that there's something that you get to possess and enjoy and see and seek now, right? It changes the way you see this. What he is saying is, if you continue to practice these things, you're going to miss what has been made available to you. And what I would tell you, and this has been my own experience, the more I tinker in these areas, the more I realize that I am missing things that God has for me. I, I think that's true for you. Some of you are doing all this, these things, and you're like, why is God not? Because you have forsaken what he has made available to you. And he says there's deceptive desires that keep us trapped in these circles. And all of us, y'all, we live in a culture that, and I guess I would ask it as a question in your mind, if you were to answer this question, not out loud, do you believe that the trajectory of sexuality, sexual expression in our culture moves in a healthy and wholesome trajectory or in its opposite? Just as a culture, do, do y'all think we're moving in a healthy direction? We can like, yes, we're really excited. I mean, like, I, I think we probably agree. It just seems to be tilted in a really to appeal to like the basest desires of us. I wrote about this yesterday, trying to get all of this down and get my, get my thoughts around it so I could um, kind of think about this a little bit more clearly. But in this sort of endless search, what has ended up happening in the name of freedom is we've cast off anything that restrains us or restricts us, thinking that that's what's gonna produce or bring a sense of freedom. And instead what's happened is we've become prisoners to our own amusement and to our own sort of whatever entices us and arouses us and just keeps us trapped. And what it does, it just keeps appealing to the same deceptive desires that we can't seem to shake. And it just, it just feeds an endless loop. And this is the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that is hypersexualized and it is not likely to shift. <clears throat> the problem is the culture that you live in, the relationships that you cultivate, shape who you are. To think that we are not affected by the culture is foolish. So what we have to do, you and I, we have to figure out what are we going to do, how are we going 
to respond, right? This is, this is the whole idea. What, Lord, what is it that we are going to do? We're asking him this. We end up sort of offering ourselves to other people to satisfy their own desires, to be consumed by the same desires that keep us sort of chasing and then just follow the trajectory. And we end up thinking, I see this all the time, is that the authority in your own life is your own true, authentic self to self-actualize, right? And then from that, it is your own truth. Proclaim your own truth. Tell your own truth. The problem is that your truth cannot set your heart free. And you can try all you want. It won't do it. The reason Jesus says, if anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself because he knows that your identity outside of him will leave you chasing, endlessly chasing and offering yourselves to all sorts of things that will never, ever, ever fill what you're looking for. So the fact that we, that we have no inheritance means we, have, we won't partake in what's been made available. What's made available? So here's how I think about this list. Because what I try to do, and this is, this is why the first sort of task is discernment. Discernment, this literally what we're talking about, the idea of self-denial is to, is to say, Lord, there is a way in me that will pursue all of these things. Can you help me lay aside those things and pursue the reality that has been made for me in, in Christ? In Christ, right, you have been born again, reborn, made new. This is the promise. We are an old creation, or we were an old creation. All things have been made new. To form a new creation in you, to form a new humanity in us. Therefore, we are no longer subjected or subjects to the old. This is an authority issue. So we gotta, we've gotta, we gotta get our heads around this and think about this a little bit differently. Discernment is to sit and to, to consider these, these ideas. And in fact, what's really interesting, if you look back, and I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, and I want to put this back up on the screen. And I, want you to, I don't want you to get caught up on the list, which is where we all get stuck. I want you to get caught up on the reason why he gave us this list. So let's look at this and read it together. Uh, go to 3 and 4. Um, yeah, verse 3 and 4. But there must not be among you a hint of sexual morality, impurity of any kind, or greed, why? Because what? These are, said out loud, not fitting. They don't belong. They don't belong. Paul would write this at another point. He says, your body is not meant for sexual morality. Your body is not designed to just be given over and away to whatever you happen to feel or think or whatever sort of tantalizes you or makes you feel whole or beautiful or whatever your struggle is. There's, there's a design piece to this. Neither should there be vulgar speech or foolish talk or coarse jesting, all of what? What are they? They're out of character. You ever, as a parent, my kids from time to time would, would do something and they would do something you just like can't believe they did. And you want to like come off the third ring rope and just go, boom, don't, you know. And what I remember, I remember like as a father looking at them going, this, this isn't you. Like you, you know them and you know what they just did is unbecoming. It doesn't fit. It doesn't belong. It's out of character. 
Like this is how the Father sees us when he sees us indulging ourselves and chasing and harming ourselves or being harmed. This doesn't fit. It's an identity thing. Self-denial is about identity. It's about discerning who it is that you have been remade to be. It is the saying that, that there is, there, the relationship is going to define my relationship is the relationship, there, there is going to be no identity higher or given more authority than my relationship with the Father. I would define self-denial this way. Is it is the posture, sorry, um, it's, it's the posture where we learn that one relationship defines all of the other ones. It's to not let any other identity surface and become your governor, your, your ruler, your chase, your pursuit. And it's from this that we have to understand in what self-control is. What we learn to is we were reconciled to the fathers. We live under the authority of Jesus as our king, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this. He says in Galatians 5, he gives us a list, another list. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's how he says it. It's really singular. And he talks about all these, these um, sort of expressions. Of, I read it as these expressions of love. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. Faithfulness and gentleness. And guess what? Self-control. Self-control is not willpower. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a product of God's work in you. Some of you have been trying to willpower yourself away from all of these things. You will never do it. What you have to do is to learn how to trust, to learn how to depend, to learn how when he says, when you indulge these things, you are forsaking something that is in front of you. And when I thought about this, and I did this in my journal, I said, what is sexual morality? Because listen, I can justify myself out of every one of these categories. I don't know if you can or not. I can well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I'm not like this, and I'm not like that. I can do that with all of these. What I've just tried to do is to put these in a place that sort of collects us all and recognize that there's a trajectory to these things that are troubling. That immorality, right, immorality or sexual morality is, is, is a giving over to desire simply to be takers and to forsake, right, to forsake leveraging our bodies as effective servants. It's this obsession with sex and sexuality and this misunderstanding and expression, misunderstood expression of, sexual, of sexuality. And it's anything that falls in that category. The literal word is porneia, which is porn, or anything having to do with misrepresenting. When you, I, I can't even get into this. God, I wish I could. It's common. Because it is so important. The way we use our bodies is so important. And we have neglected some things that are really harmful. They're really harmful because they frame how you see. If you're a guy and you're chasing, you're always looking at a girl's body, you are framing what you see about her. And you are setting up a standard for yourself that you cannot sustain, that she cannot sustain. For some of you, this has been, this is, you've been objectified so long, you see your, see, I told you I can't get into this because it's so important. When we do this, we forsake what has been made available to us, the freedom that's been given to us. Impurity, I mean, of any kind, does that not affect anybody? That touches us all. And I think he's talking about that everything that we do forms us. The world is a formation machine. The music, the entertainment, 
your Instagram feed, Facebook, Fox News, CNN, whatever your it forms, you are always being formed. What Paul is suggesting to us and saying is we need to, this is a, respo, uh, a result of failing to tend to our own spiritual formation by the renewing of our thinking. I'm, I, I, I hate hype. And people are getting all excited about, oh, that feels so good, that music sounds so cool. Because it's, a, it's not about how you feel about God or anything else. It's about how you think about the renewing of your mind in such a way that it actually affects who you are. We were renewed in our souls, in the deepest parts of who we are. And then greed is not a matter of just amassing what you need. It's really the governor saying, not having the distinction between I can and I should. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And a lot of us have no restriction. Whatever we have in front of us, that's what we're going to do. And I think all this falls, and this is how I'm trying to test myself in this. And we're going to just put a, kind of a circle around this and box it out for now. Because what I want us to talk about as we close, and i got to stop. I've done this every, this is too much. I want to give you two more ideas that you all believe in, I know. Integrity and influence. And both of us have a picture of these things. When I think about discernment, it's not about trying to figure out what the Bible says about the right issues and holding the right positions about all the right topics. Is that important? Of course it's important. Discernment is not about that. The discernment is about being able to say, God, what are you doing in this moment? God, what am I bringing to this? If the kingdom is at hand, what am I doing right now to bring your kingdom and your way to bear on the world around me? What am I bringing? What am I showing up with? When I think about this, the integrity that I'm supposed to bring every single time I show up is, Lord, let me reflect your image well to bring the integrity of his image. The reason I work and strive and work out my own salvation and what I think about these things isn't so I get to heaven when I die or so they don't play my videotape or so it's not as long as yours, <laughs> right? But because I want to bring something about him to this moment to discern, God, what are you doing and how do you want me to show up to represent you here and your kingdom here? That is a, that is a much tougher standard than just figuring out what you believe about a particular issue and slinging some Bible verses and cutting someone's knees out. To bring actually God's presence and his, the beauty of his image. And then my goal, my job, is to bring the influence of his love. If I really believe that the love of God is the most powerful force in the universe, this is my job. And if you notice, it's his image and his love, which means this has got to be a part, or else I'm going to bring mine. So, self control and dependence. We get up on these mountains, we're riding these bikes, and we're about to go down this last trail, and I finally got the hang of it, or I wasn't about to kill myself or other people. So we get up there, and we're up this place, and we're about to go to this really steep place through all these trees and crevices and cliffs, and I'm like, I'm gonna die. And it's, these aren't trails. They're, 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 they don't make clear to me. There's boulders. They're boulders. I'm like, Richie's like, this is what Richie says. Richie says, 
hey, Mike, we're going to get on this place. It's going to turn left, and all you need to do is trust your bike. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Give me my oxygen. (laughs) Right? Trust your bike. You know how to shift. You know how to do this. You know you know the skills needed. Now you gotta, you gotta trust the vehicle is gonna be sufficient for the for the way. Now this is like literally exactly what it's like. Because here's what I would try to do. I would try to go around all the boulders, and you don't. You just all the way down. I was like, I can't believe I did this. He's like, I told you, just trust your bike. And some of you are like trying so hard not and trying so hard and you just need to trust that what God has done is sufficient. That when you say, hey, I'm gonna put off this old man, that you're actually gonna step into something new and beautiful, and life-giving, and life-fulfilling, and soul-shaping. It's, it's, the whole time, Richie's going, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Imitate me, do this. It's exactly, it's exactly the language. So how do we do this? Like, what, do we, what do we do? Like, how do we learn this? So we talk about surrender intervals around here. And all of you are probably familiar with this, or if you've been around for a while, you are. A surrender interval is simply this. It's the amount of time between points of surrender. And I believe in a literal point of surrender. You know, church service, youth group camp, uh, quiet time, whatever it might be. So like some of you come every Sunday, and you're here every Sunday, or you're here every other Sunday, or you're here every third Sunday, or some of you are here every three months, whatever it is you are, right? You're here, and you come here, and you're like, oh, man, I feel something. I need to get my life right. And you say, God... I surrender to you. I surrender. Then you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday happens. You come back to church and you're serious again. Oh, God, I surrender, right? And your surrender interval is how long? Seven days, right? Seven days. Some of you have a small group in the middle of the week, right? If it depends on if it's Friday, right? Then you're like five days. Then you're like two days to Sunday because that shrinks it down a little bit. Some of you do your quiet time every single day. You get up in the morning. You're like, Lord, I just want to surrender this day to you. Let it be for your glory. Let me pay attention to you. And then, you know, the next day comes, you do the same thing, and your surrender interval is how long? 24 hours, one day. And it took me a long time to get to a 24-hour-a-day surrender, where it was like every day consistently, Lord, let me surrender. And let me tell you what I found when I finally got 24 hours, surrender intervals. I found out that 24 hours was way too long. Because I can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I surrender this day to you. I want it to be for your glory. And then my kids get up, right? And the wheels come off. Or you go to work, or there's an email. Some of you are sitting in bed, you're like, Lord, surrender, and the email goes off. You need to do it again. It's a surrender interval. Lord, let me surrender this moment. And what I found is you just, just as you breathe, you gotta, because this is what dependence looks like. And what happens when you learn this, guess what begins? Your body actually begins to be used to serve the purposes of God rather than govern all the desires that make you crazy and everybody else. I mean, look at the list, anger, and it's like govern your volatile emotions, govern your words, govern your body. This is the language. And it's, it's, it's us learning to surrender and to remain in a posture of surrender.
every moment as you breathe, Lord, I want to withdraw. I want to see and sense what you're doing. Let me bring the integrity of your image. Let me bring the influence of your love to this moment, to this encounter, to this circumstance, to this person. What if, what if he answered that in you? And you began to feel like victory and freedom in ways that you just couldn't have anticipated. Right, what I want for us is to have a vision for a new humanity, for God to make us holy where we've been made. That the things that you're struggling with, that you know they're, they're un, they're, they don't belong. And for God to have his way in you and in me and in us. You're not going to do this alone. You're not going to do this alone. So I'm going to pause and we're going to pray and we're going to just declare this song together. I think it's just a beautiful picture that we re-surrender. It's just a posture of re-surrender, re-surrender, re-surrender. Until you make us into the people you've created us to be. Father, I ask you would give us vision. God, I know there are people in this room who struggle, and they struggle deeply. And I, I in no way take that lie. I hope that they will feel safe enough with our community to expose and to avail themselves a little bit more fully, perhaps more fully than they've ever had before. God, for the sake of healing and hope and wholeness. Other people have deep, deep struggles. I ask that you would meet us in the very depths of those things. Well, I ask that you give us vision to be a new humanity. New creatures walking together, learning to trust and depend and to share and to give and to serve. God, would you do that? And so we just ask you to make us into that kind of people as we Surrender afresh today. And I lift all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Won't you stand together as we close with this song?